Thank you for that fun melody to get us started this morning. Welcome here to First Church. Special welcome to those listening on the radio. A few announcements before we uh, get started with our worship service to praise our risen Lord. The, uh, there's several in the, in the uh, bulletin, so please look through those, but a few to highlight. Um, first, the roses on the altar in honor of two couples celebrating wedding anniversaries. Gary and Emily Wiedemann are celebrating 56 years today. Congratulations to you two. Robert and Sandy Deerhake will be celebrating 59 years on August 29th. Congratulations to you. The consistory has called for a congregational meeting on Sunday, September 9th, immediately following the 9 o'clock service. The purpose is to approve the cost of asbestos removal from the church basement and to discuss and answer questions about the furnace project. So note that. Special floral arrangement adorning the sanctuary this morning has been placed in honor and celebration of Orville and Bonnie Height's 50th wedding anniversary on August 24th by their children, Beth Height, Amy, and Sean Sayers. So to see them, congratulate them again. Tori, if you would please come up and, and share with us some activities with the youth. Good morning. So as you all know, September is our kickoff month and everything is starting to happen and we are excited for the coming year and we want to celebrate all of the fun things that are coming for this year for our kids, for youth, for everyone really. Um, And so we're hoping that you will all join us on Sunday, September 9th for a fall block party. It's going to be in the parking lot from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. We will be serving hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, If you come, uh, if you're willing, would you bring a side dish to share? We're going to share a meal together. We're going to have a bounce house, face painting, um, nine square, tons and tons of games for kids. So it's just going to be a fun church family celebration to celebrate the start of the new year. Um, So we hope that you will all make it. Part of the parking lot will be blocked off that morning so we can set up tables and chairs just so you're aware um but that is on sunday september 9th from 11:30 to 1:30, and we hope that you all come out for it thank you if you'd please rise as we have our call to worship here this morning which is taken from second peter chapter three but do not forget this one thing dear friends With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, his patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now let us sing hymn number 262, Holy, Holy, Holy.
we'll have children's chat, and while they're coming up, please give a hug, a handshake, a smile, fist bump, whatever you so choose, those near you. I have something really, really cool, and I borrowed it from Mr. Rohrbaugh. Do you know what this is? It's a transformer. And I, I was more of a Barbie kid when I was growing up, but apparently these are, like, the coolest toy ever, and I can see why, because, like, if I... He's got legs, and then if I... Ugh, if I pull him apart there... And I even found, took me a minute, but he's got hands. He's got, he's got little hands somewhere. Oh, do you? Oh, do you? Now, I, I think, like, the coolest thing about this is that it's as old as I am. But, uh, <laughs> love you, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> but uh, this guy went from a car into Optimus Prime, robots in disguise. And uh, this Transformer has a lot to do with Pastor Joel's story today. Pastor Joel's story is about a man named Saul. And Saul was not a very nice guy. If he found out that you love Jesus or that you follow Jesus, he was not going to be a good friend to you. He would do mean things. He would say mean things. And so if you saw Saul coming, you knew that he was not a good friend. Yes, sir. I know that story. Oh, good. And uh, so the cool thing about Saul is that Jesus got a hold of him. And when Jesus got a hold of him, he changed his heart. He transformed Saul's heart. And he changed his mind about Christians. And in fact, he even told Saul, I'm going to change your name. So your old self is gone. And your new self is named Paul. And you are going to be my disciple. And you are going to tell my story. So God took some a guy who was not a friend to Jesus and transformed him into someone who was. Cool, right? Thanks, Mr. Rohrbaugh. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for transforming hearts. Thank you for transforming lives and transforming minds. We love you. Tra- help us transform our lives to be more like you. Amen. Thanks, guys. Lost this week in Iraq, in the province of Nineveh, Chief Warrant Officer, 3rd Class, Taylor Galvin, 34, from Spokane, Washington. Lost in Norfolk, Virginia, Info Systems Technician, 3rd Class, Joshua Johnson, 22, from Orange Park, Florida. Lost in Utah, Hospital Corpsman, 2nd Class, Daniela Juliana Casey, 24, from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Also lost Captain John S. McCain III, from Cornville, Arizona. Thank you, Jay. 
Before we pray together, I just want to remind you all about our uh, church-wide time of prayer we're going to have next week before our service. Uh, If you've been following our prayer covenant we've been doing this summer, uh, we said we'd spend a week or so doing each one of these ten themes, uh, focusing on each one of those ten themes throughout the week. Uh, And so this week coming up is our last of those ten weeks, so it's kind of bringing our time of prayer to a close, and we thought no better way to end it than a time of prayer together. Um, so if you're able and, and willing, uh, 8 o'clock before church next week, we're going to gather. Um, in your bulletin, it says in the sanctuary, but we're actually going to slide over and meet in the Heritage Room to give us a little bit uh, more intimate space uh, so we don't spread out all over this big room. Uh, but we're going to meet in the Heritage Room uh, and then have a time of scripture and prayer um, as a way to that goes along with these themes as a way to kind of close out our summer of prayer. So if you're able and willing to join us, I think it's a a great thing when God's people join together in prayer, and it gives us a good opportunity to do that as a way to not only end our summer, but start our fall uh, time off with prayer and be praying for the things in our church that are going to be coming up and starting this fall, like our youth ministry and Sunday school and all of that stuff. So uh, once again, that's eight o'clock next Sunday, uh, right over there in the Heritage Room. I invite you, as uh, we can pack that thing out and invite as many people as we can to, to be a part of that. Uh, So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we are so grateful that you give us uh, the opportunity to come to you in prayer. Uh, Lord, we often uh, neglect prayer to our own uh, detriment. We we don't think uh, and set aside time to come to you in prayer like we should. Uh, Lord, we take it for granted. uh, But Lord, help us to really understand and appreciate the gift you've given us in prayer. That the God of the universe who created each one of us and created everything that is, has given us the opportunity to come and to, to have this conversation and, and, and this intimate relationship through prayer. And so, Lord, help us to not take that for granted. Uh, help us to understand the price that your son, Jesus Christ, paid to make this all possible. And, and Lord, you invite us, each one of us, uh, into prayer each and every day and each and every moment. And so help us, Lord, to have an attitude and a heart that's set on prayer and one that, uh, that w- we can come to you, Lord, uh, knowing full well that you hear us and are able to, to answer according to your will. And so, Lord, we lift, up, um, we lift up our ministry fair this afternoon. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But we're going to, uh, it reminds us, Lord, of, of, of the opportunities that our church has for, to grow in our faith and to serve our community and our world. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to live out our faith in a real and practical way each and every day. And I pray that you would uh, give us uh, opportunities as a church to grow in, into that. And I pray that you would inspire each one of us by your spirit, Lord, to, to grow and to seek after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our leaders. I pray for our elders, our, our, our deacons, our trustees, our staff. Uh, Lord, thank you for everyone that you've put in positions of leadership here. And I pray that we would all seek after you and set an example of what it means to, to, to be your disciple and to know and love you. Lord, I also pray for our uh, concerns that are listed in the bulletin. Uh, there's many names there that have been there for some time. And Lord, you know exactly what is needed. You know what needs to be provided in those situations. And so we pray for your will to be done. We pray for your provision, your healing, your grace, Lord, to be made known. And I pray that you would equip each one of us to be the answer to that prayer, that as we are able, um, help us to, to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family, and be that love and that support that you call us to be. 
We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. We're pleased to have Beth Butcher providing our music this morning.
stand, please remain standing. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 19 through 32. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to, this, to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. Are you out of your mind, Paul? he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And now, if you could join us in singing hymn number 297, I Love to Tell the Story.
seated. Before we jump into the sermon today, I want to take a moment and, and invite you all and remind you all about our, our ministry fair that's happening after the service today. As you can see, if you're here with us this morning and not listening on the radio, our heritage room looks a little different. Uh, we have some tables and some information over there. Um, we have some coffee and cookies to bribe you to come over and check it out. Uh, but we'd love for you to just stick around a few minutes for a little bit after the service and just hear about what's happening at First Church this fall. Uh, we're committed as a church to be rooted in Christ, to be growing together and serving the world. And there's plenty of opportunities to do those things right here that are already happening. And we just don't always talk about them. You know, there's, there's opportunities to serve in the nursery, in the choir, um, in consistory and, and, and things like that. There's Bible studies that take place not just on Sunday morning, but that meet throughout the week. And so what we've done is we've taken all that information and, and put it all in one place. And so uh, after the service is done, after we pray and everything, instead of just, you know, making out of here as quick as you can for lunch, I want to invite you all to be here and, and just come over and see what we have going on here as a church. Um, there's information about youth ministry and children's ministry, including um, Sunday school information and things like that. So um, it's just an opportunity not only to hear about what's going on and, and maybe sign up for some of those things, but it's also an opportunity for fellowship. Um, I think I think one of the things that we we can do as a church is really just enjoy each other, enjoy time together. And so that's what we want to do as well. And so um, even if you know everything that's going on and you're all signed up for for to serve and to be a part of a Bible study, we still invite you to stick around and, and come over and have a little refreshments and just enjoy each other's company for a little while after our service today. Um, so that's what's going on. Again, uh, if you're able to stick around, we would really enjoy it if you were able to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for, for what you're doing in, in this church and what you're doing in each one of our hearts and minds. I pray now as we take the time for this in this service to turn to your word and what uh, you have to say to us, I pray that you open our hearts and minds uh, to your spirit's leading, and I pray that you would give me words to speak uh, that point people to you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're getting down to the end of our journey with Paul through the book of Acts. Um, what seemed like such a kind of a fast-paced journey to start with, if you were, if you've been following along throughout the summer, has kind of slowed down here near the end of the book. Uh, if you if you have been reading through the book of Acts with us, you notice that that. Things had kind of been moving at a fast pace. He'd been, Paul had been on these missionary journeys. He'd been going from city to city and, and planting churches and, and being kicked out of cities for planting churches and, and, and all of these things that were, were happening were kind of happening quickly. And then all of a sudden in these last couple chapters, we've seen things slow down a little bit and, and slow down in the sense that, that once Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and, and charged uh, with disrupting the peace, Things kind of slow down and we get a glimpse into to how Paul is now interacting as he's defending himself in trial. And the interesting thing that I've noticed as I've been reading over these passages is that, that Paul not only, his primary concern in these, in these defenses that he's putting forward is not to get out of jail. His primary concern is not his own safety or his own reputation or to try to avoid any sort of punishment or any sort of consequence for his actions. His primary concern over and over and over again is to share the gospel, is to tell others about the risen Lord, is to tell others about the impact that Christ has had on his own life and others. 
And we see that once again here in this passage. In fact, Paul reiterates or retells the story of his experience on the Damascus Road about encountering Jesus and, and the transformation, I love that, the Transformers reference, the transformation that took place in his own heart, in his own mind, and changed his life. And he says that same kind of experience, that same kind of, of relationship with Christ, that same sort of forgiveness that Paul experienced is now available to all people. And, and, and over the course of his missionary journeys, Paul had been preaching that gospel to to others, to, to people in the markets, to people in the synagogues, to anyone he can encounter. And now he's having that same opportunity to preach that same gospel message to people in power, to the kings, to the governors, to the leaders. And that message didn't change. That message is still the same, the forgiveness that can be found in Christ and experienced in him. And we've touched on a lot of those themes over the course of our conversation with Paul. And, and what I want to focus on today is, is how that experience changed Paul. Because the thing that amazes me about this story and about all of these, these um, the stories of Paul's defense after he'd been arrested is that he was willing to communicate the gospel, not for his own benefit, benefit but for those who are putting him on trial, for the people who had arrested him. For all those who were there listening, I put myself in Paul's shoes and think, all right, I'm, I'm here, I'm locked up. It had been some time that he'd been experiencing this hardship. My primary concern and my own maybe self-centered desire would be to get out of that situation, right? I'm sure, I hope others relate to that same sort of desire as well. That's the last place I would want to be. But Paul is there in chains and preaching the gospel. He's there in chains and he says, I wish short time or long time, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am except for these chains. What a profound statement. What a profound perspective. My question is, how do we get that same sort of viewpoint? Paul had a desire to see change in the lives of these people. He had a desire to see change in the world as a result of Christ coming into his own heart and Christ coming to meet him on the Damascus Road. How do we have that same desire to see change in our own lives? How do we have that same desire to see change in our church, in our own community, within our families? Because I think if you're like me, sometimes that it's hard to step out and to proclaim the gospel. Honestly, it's not an easy thing to do. And in our own power, in our own, uh, left up to our own devices, we're not always going to have that desire to do it. That desire isn't always going to come from within ourselves. It's going to, it only comes through Christ and through the Spirit working in our lives to change our heart, to change our perspective, and to change our purposes. And so that's what I want to, I want to highlight today. We see from Paul's own experience that in order to have that desire to see change, we need a new heart, just like Paul had received. Our problem is that our hearts are hard. The Old Testament refers to the fact that we have hearts of stone. 
And that we need those hearts to be removed and we need God to give us hearts of flesh. We need soft hearts in order to have that sort of desire. And Paul is a perfect example of the change that can take place when God does that. Think of who Paul was before the Damascus Road. You just heard Nikki talking about it in children's chat. Paul was a persecutor. Paul was, was opposed to Jesus and the movement of that early church. But the moment he met Christ on the Damascus Road, the moment that that change took place in his life, the moment he, he trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, he received a new heart, and he was not the same person anymore. You see, in our, in our sin nature, our hearts are hard and selfish. Everything revolves around us. And we have no time for, for the things of God in our lives, and we have no time for other people as well. Everything revolves around us. But when God gives us a soft heart, when God makes that change, we begin to understand and appreciate what God has done for us for the first time. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet talks about this change that takes place in the heart of a believer. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. God promises the people of Israel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Notice here that the change takes place as a result of God's initiative. I may want to see change in my life. I may want to be a better person. But the only way that that truly happens, the only way that that truly is accomplished is through God's Spirit working in us, in, in me and in you. It's God's doing. It's God's initiative. And He does that change for us. We can't perform open heart surgery on ourselves, right? We need someone to do it for us. And that someone is, is the Lord. He through Christ, through the Spirit working in our hearts, in our lives, He's able to give us a new heart. We're finally able to appreciate God's love for us and appreciate God's love for others for the first time because we've been transformed from the inside out. Our desires change, our, our heart change, the, the way we think about God changes. And it is out of that transformation that a desire for evangelism and a desire for transformation takes place. See, evangelism isn't born, excuse me, it is born out of this new understanding of God and this new heart that He has given us. And we only have to turn to a few passages in the New Testament to really see the heart that God has for this world and for His creation. In John 3.16, the very familiar words uh, spell it out for us, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God's love for the world is, is, is laid out for us, and it's demonstrated through His Son, Jesus Christ. That His death on the cross and His resurrection has proven that God loves us. And we hear Paul tell the Roman church in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, if we truly understood those verses, if we truly had an understanding of, of the love that God has for us, it'll change us. 
We'll have a new perspective and new appreciation for who God is and, and, and how he's working in the world. The call to worship from Second Peter chapter 3 reminds us that God is patient. And his desire is not to see people perish, but to, for all people to come to repentance. And so we need to have a new heart. We need to have a new mindset that is focused on those realities. And when that, is, when that takes place, we'll have a desire to see change. And the desire will then begin to play itself out through our lives and through our actions. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to be the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, when we have a new heart, we begin to live out those new priorities. And as we do so, as we put God's love on display, as we become the light of the world and people see us living for the Lord and living out that love that He's shown us, they begin not to give us glory, but to give God glory. The way we live out our new lives and the way that transformation takes place from the inside out, the way that plays itself out in our lives is going to get people's attention. And God is then glorified when we point others to him. And so God gives us a new heart, a new understanding of his love for us. But that's not all. He also gives us a new perspective on others. As we begin to understand what God has done for us, we begin to see others in a new light. See, the gospel just completely destroys this us versus them mentality that is so easy to fall into. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys, right? It's so easy to just divide the world up among those, uh, in those sorts of categories. No matter what your categories are, we, we're trained and we're, we're taught by our society to, to think in those terms. But the gospel gives us a level playing field because the gospel teaches us that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior, myself included. Paul, writing to Timothy uh, later in his life, says, This is the true and trustworthy saying, God has come to save sinners, among whom I am the worst. Right? When we truly understand that, it it levels the playing field because we realize that we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all in desperate need of God's grace. We're all in desperate need of that new heart that God promises to us because of Christ. And so we no longer see people in an us-versus-them kind of mentality, but we see people that are dead and lost, that need the life that God provides. In Ephesians chapter 2, I use this passage as reference a lot, but I think it's so important for us to hear these words. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it describes the situation that we all find ourselves in, and the hope and the grace that God provides. I want you to hear these words today and think about, think about what they are, what this passage teaches us about those who are separate from Christ and those who are in Christ. 
As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and transgressions. Apart from Christ, we are lost and have no hope. But because of what Christ has done for us, we've been made alive We've been given grace. We've been offered forgiveness. And it's not anything that we have done to earn it, but it's all the free gift of Christ. Because of God's love for this broken and and, and lost world, He has sent His Son to die for us so that we might live in Him. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. But God has revealed the remedy. The remedy is the gospel, the light of Christ, that what God has done for us in Christ can make us alive again. And so our responsibility is, as, as followers of Christ, as God wants to use us to share that remedy with the world. To take the knowledge that, of, of what He has done for us and share that with those who are in need. I mean, think of how how selfish it would be if, if we had a cure for cancer. If we could eradicate all illness and all disease from this world and we kept that solution to ourselves. That's what God has made available to us in Christ is, is not, physical, not, not, not the solution to a physical disease or physical illness, but a spiritual one. That we are dead in Christ apart, or we are dead in our sins apart from Christ. But in Him we've been made alive. And so it is our job now with this new perspective to share that with a lost world. And I, I, I say lost world, I don't mean that in a negative sense because lost things have value. Lost things deserve to be sought after. Think of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, all those parables in Luke 15. All things of value that are sought after and desired. That's the same perspective that we should have on those apart from Christ. To seek after them with the love that God has shown us and and point them to the truth of the gospel and the life that is found there. That's what Paul is doing in these passages. Paul is pleading with them to, to, to put their trust in Christ, to trust in that remedy that he has known. In John chapter 1, when Jesus is first calling his disciples, there's this, this scene that 
I think is so important for us to hear. In John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, Jesus is calling his disciples and, and, he, and he invites a man named Andrew to follow him. And in verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, the first thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And we brought him and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which was when translated is Peter. Andrew meets Christ. Jesus invites him to follow him. And the first thing he does is go and find his brother. He says, we have found the Messiah. The first thing. Who's the first person you've told about Christ? Who's the one person in your life that you need to drop everything and go tell them about Jesus? Go tell them about the hope that we have in Christ. First thing, it, reminds, it, it, it shows us that there's a priority there that is often lacking in our own hearts. And I am just as guilty of it as anyone else. Our first thing is not always to go and tell people about the Lord. Our first thing is not always to go and, and share the gospel and share the love of Christ with our family or our friends or our coworkers. We often have a lot of other first things that come before that priority. But I want to challenge all of us, myself included, to make that a priority, to make that a first thing in our lives. To not let those opportunities slip away. But when they come, when God provides you the chance to share the gospel with someone, let's take it. Take that opportunity to point them towards Christ. And that leads us into our last, our last point here. So God has given us a new heart. He's given us a new perspective on others. And he's given us a new purpose. See, it does, evangelism, sharing the gospel with others, doesn't happen on accident. We need to be intentional about it. We need to be striving to, to share the gospel with others in a real and intentional way. In Romans chapter 10, Paul reminds us of this truth. He says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, how can someone believe in, in, in the gospel that they have not heard? How can someone believe in, in what Christ has done for them and put their trust in Christ if we don't point them to him in the first place? See, God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us to, to share the gospel and to expand his kingdom in this world. 
And so we need to be intentional about it. We need to have a heart to share Christ with others. Even in Jesus' own ministry, he took time to send out his disciples in a very intentional way so that they would have the opportunity to go and preach the kingdom and, and perform miracles so that others may trust in Christ. Jesus was very intentional about that. It wasn't all about him doing the work, but he sent his disciples out to do the work of the kingdom as well. He sent them out into the mission field. And so my question for you this morning is, what is your mission field? Who are those people that God has placed in your life that he's calling you to share the gospel with? And I use that word very intentionally, mission field, because we often think of missions as something that other people do. Right? I'm going to go to Southeast Asia to be a missionary. I'm going to go to South America to be a missionary. I'm going to go on a mission trip to Chicago or somewhere else. But God has called us all into the mission field, and our mission field is New Knoxville. Our mission field is our homes, our families, our workplace, our neighborhoods. God has surrounded us with people that that desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel, desperately need to see God's love demonstrated in real and practical ways. And he's calling us to to be that demonstration, to be that missionary. And so who are, what is your mission field and what are you doing? What is God calling you? What is God empowering you to do to reach them? There's a few different ways to think about this. There's different layers of evangelism, if you want to call it that. There's that first layer of simply being with people, their presence. Simply spending time with them and, and, and living life in such a way that people can see, like, he, like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that you can be a light of the world in their lives. Jesus did that all the time. He, he intentionally spent time with his disciples. He intentionally spent time with unbelievers, those sinners and tax collectors that he often got in trouble for spending time with. He was doing that intentionally so that he could share the gospel with them. But simply just being around someone isn't enough. We also need to take it to the next step and, and proclaim the gospel. We need to put into words what God has done for us in our own lives. And that doesn't require a theology degree. That just requires a willingness to share what God has done in your life. Like Paul does here in this passage. I was going on my way to Damascus and God showed up in my life. And here is how my life has changed as a result of that. It's as simple as that being willing to proclaim the good news of the gospel and God's grace. And finally, just as Paul is doing here in this passage, not only do we proclaim the gospel, but we try to persuade people to put their trust and believe in it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about being an ambassador for Christ. And I I love that description of what it means to, to live in a world excuse me, for Christ. An ambassador is someone who represents a foreign country living in, I don't want to say enemy territory, it's not always enemy territory, right? But living outside of the kingdom. And so as ambassadors for Christ, we're called to represent Christ here in our communities, in our families, in our world. And we're called to do so in a way that points people to Jesus. And points people to the, to the reconciliation that God has made available for us through Christ. 
that God took our sin upon himself and gave us the righteousness of God. And so how do we do this? How do we be present with people? How do we proclaim the gospel? And how do we persuade them? We pray. We ask God to, to give us the ability to, to speak words of truth. Where we need to be willing to share our testimony, like I already said. Share what God has done in our lives. We need to be willing to show God's love in practical ways and spend time with people that aren't like us. One of the blessings and, I don't want to say curses because that doesn't sound right, of being a pastor is I'm always surrounded by church people. It's wonderful. But there's a lot of you out there that have an opportunity to go to work in a place where you may be the only Christian or one of a few Christians and you have an opportunity to be a light there in a way that sometimes Tori or I don't. (coughs) Excuse me. We need to make it a priority. We need to make sharing the gospel a priority in our lives because if we don't, it's just not going to happen. So I want to challenge us, I want to challenge myself today to make it a priority. Be willing when God gives you that opportunity to share the gospel with someone in your life. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your parents, brother or sister. Maybe it's your neighbor or coworker that, that you've always, had an, always wanted to but never took that opportunity. Do it this week. Like Paul, plead that they would become a follower of Jesus just like him, except for those chains, of course. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to, to make your gospel known. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have the strength, would have the faith to follow your leading, to follow Paul's example, and to proclaim the gospel and to share that good news with others. I pray you instill in our hearts a desire to see change and a desire to see others others come to know you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing number two, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Lord, we ask that you would take our hearts and seal them. Lord, and, and may, by your, may you fill us with your spirit as we go from this place. And may we know what it means to, to have a desire to see change and preach the gospel with every opportunity you give us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm just going to invite you all to take some time this morning and, and join us over here in the Heritage Room. We'd love to have you.